The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. My name is David Cron. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church in Fairburn, and also on the web at gracebible.faith. That is gracebible.faith. And here at Grace Bible Church, we're working our way through the book of James. This last Sunday, we continued our work in the eighth major section of the book of James, the portion of the letter covering chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Now, whereas we worked through the first three verses the previous week, we only covered one verse this week. Those first three verses that we covered last week constituted a portion of the text that we refer to as a pleasure problem. Verses 4 and 5, in turn, constituted a portion of the text that we have referred to as a friendship problem. However, as I stated, we only got through verse 4 this time on account of giving James's opening rebuke in verse 4 some special attention, and then in the developing of its primary emphasis of the, on the condemning nature of choosing friendship with the world. So once more, we first worked through the pleasure problem a week ago, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, which reads as follows. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures." And then, this last week, we began our work in addressing the friendship problem, which includes verses 4 and 5, and they read as follows. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he made to dwell in us. Now, I opened our engagement with verse 4 by giving a sweeping look at each of the chapters we've covered so far, chapters 1 and 2 and 3 of James, and we briefly noted two things. I addressed the primary exhortations and themes of each chapter, and then reminded everyone that there were also warnings and rebukes peppered into those passages along the way. Warnings and rebukes that we've given due attention, but that we probably have mostly viewed as a means of contrast for the positive exhortations and commands provided to us. Also, we likely viewed these warnings and rebukes with a degree of separation as well. I then contrasted these patterns with the first rebukes and warnings expressed in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4 before giving special attention to the weighty severity of that which, of that which was expressed in verse 4, where James uses the terms adulteresses an enemy. Now, for James to engage his readers as adulteresses is extremely disconcerting, but it has ties back to the Old Testament to the language of the Old Testament where Israel was rebuked in this same manner, because the Lord had taken the covenant people of Israel as a bride for himself, and their unfaithfulness, primarily expressed through idolatry, was regarded as adultery, a painful image and thereby a painful rebuke that James exercises or uses toward his readers, who were primarily, if not exclusively, believing Jews who would have been very familiar with this Old Testament language. So in employing this language, 
James was exposing and rebuking the foundations of their relational follies. And this was a fitting image not only for Israel, but for the church as well. Because to covenant with one and unite yourself to another is effectively adultery. And Christ's bride is to be pure and exclusive in its affection and loyalties to him. So, while a painful engagement, we can plainly see that using the identification of adulteresses was not just some sensational way of securing his reader's attention, but was a proper way to frame the weight of this offense. Friendship with this world is uniting with one who is antagonistic to him who you have covenanted with as a bride to her husband. So having established the severity of the offense, we work through the nature of friendship here. And with this, first, and with this we first established that the nature of friendship in this context was of a more mature nature, not some casual relationship, but one of intimate commonality between persons. Who you identify as a friend speaks much of your own person, your convictions, your thoughts, your desires, which is why friendship with the world is so repugnant here. This is why James went so far as to state that friendship with the world is hostility toward God and makes one his enemy. This is a terrifying prospect and unbefitting of one who would claim to be in Christ. But truthfully, how can one who has genuinely come to Christ find relational satisfaction in the very things that Christ delivered us from? It just doesn't add up. And this is, why I'm, this is among the reasons that I'm persuaded that James was writing and speaking to the visible church. And what I mean by that is the group of persons who constitute a local church, but that may or may not include those who are genuinely believers. So you'll have some that are believers in name only, otherwise known as the tares among the wheat. And ultimately, the Lord alone can sort through these matters. But in the meantime, there's a proper place to rebuke and correct the possible unbelieving amongst us in hopes that they might come to genuine faith. Also, there's the grievous reality that even genuine believers will at times drift and stray and fail at times. They may not embrace a full and lasting friendship with the world, but they at times may succumb to seasons of weaknesses and failure. So, hearing the nature and severity of these offenses is beneficial to their being restored. That was verse 4. Now this coming Sunday, we're going to continue our work in the 8th major section of James's letter, picking up verse 5 and advancing further along, um, hopefully with the aim of maybe 6 and 7, maybe all the way through the end of the chapter, but we'll continue to labor through as we want to focus our attention though. Even while working through these things, we want to focus our attention on the primary emphasis of this section, namely that we would be humble before God. Now in the meantime, if you'd like to follow us, um, our um, messages, including the full message of this portion of James, as well as all of our other studies in James and other studies such as the Biblical Covenants, are available on our website at gracebible.faith in audio and video formats. We also are on YouTube and Spotify. Those are linked to the website as well. But as we walk through James, we do hope our study together has been and will continue to be a blessing to you, especially as we're all pursuing this one primary aim, the aim that James has established, that we'd be made perfect, complete, lacking in nothing as we walk in the wisdom from above. All right, grace and peace to you all.